And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the show. It's Wednesday, of course, as we get uh, hump day underway. It's always, you know, good day of the week. Tomorrow, second best day of the week, of course, as we get ready to wrap it up already. Can't believe how fast. These weeks go by. At least it seems that way. I'm, I'm not sure about you, but it seems for me they go by very quickly today. And, uh, of course, you know, as we enter spring, it's cold outside today. So I don't get it. <laughs> <So> <laughs> but there we go. And, by the way, I, I made a mention. I've been meaning to do this on the show. I made a mention on the show that, you know, you know, be, you know eating right and all this stuff I've had to give up you know, a lot of my vices in life. And I got down to just one vice, which were York peppermint patties. And I don't know who you are, but whoever <laughs> keeps sending me York peppermint patties, thank you. Yeah. But at least put your name in the box so I know who to thank, right? <laughs> I have these random boxes show up by FedEx of peppermint patties. Again, thank you very much. It's very well appreciated. And I just run out of the last bag. So thank you very much for the new bag. Is, is it you? Yep. No, I bet, oh. her, I bet her name is Patricia. Her name is Patricia. Probably. Okay. I, peppermint, I don't know. Well, whoever it is, sending, whoever's sending me peppermint patties, thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate it. But I would appreciate knowing who it is so I could thank you personally. So anyway, keep them coming. Yeah. <laughs> so. So it's all good. You don't share those very well, I notice. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a sharer. No. I have one. Uh, when you're down to one vice in life, yeah, you don't share it. True. I mean, just, you know. <laughs> you're excused. Exactly. It'll be, you know, zombies come. I'm not sharing my bullets either. So just let you know, don't count on sharing. Not a good sharer. <laughs> anyway, uh, some things to talk about this morning. Uh, you know, we talked yesterday that... You know, over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about all the negative sentiment in the markets and it's, you know, very negative positioning. And these type of things are normally signs that you are at or near at least a short term bottom in the markets. And again, sentiment overall is very negative. I can't tell you how many people I talk to in, in a day where, you know, the world's coming to an end and we're going to be all living on you know, uh, bread and beanie weenies and, and this type of stuff. It's peppermint just, patties. And peppermint patties. Not, I'm not sharing. So, <laughs> you know, but the point here is, is that there's a lot of negativity overall. And that is normally bearish. You know, when, when, uh, you know, when you're that bearish, that's normally bullish for the markets. It's almost a contrarian indicator. And markets have gotten very oversold, uh, you know, with this sell-off in January and February. Now, this, this past week, we've had a very, very nice rally in the markets coming off bottoms. And importantly, technically, we've done some very constructive things for the markets. And this is this is good, right? I mean, so we're seeing some good signs here as well. Now, it doesn't mean we're out of the woods just yet. It doesn't mean that the risk is completely gone and we're back to a major bull market. But there are some very constructive signs that are happening near term that are at least giving some relief to portfolios. A lot of people that were very upset and stressed with their portfolio have seen a nice recovery here over the last couple of days. And importantly, though, we, may, we, we did retest and build off these bottoms. So, you know, if we go back 
to earlier this year, we had a, the, the initial sell-off and we had a big intraday down day. And this was a day that we talked about here on the show. One of those few rare occasions, the markets opened up, they opened down 3% one morning and the NASDAQ actually finished up 4% that afternoon. So it was a 7% swing in the index just in one day. The next time we came along and had another big decline like that was the day that Russia invaded Ukraine. And again, the markets opened down sharply, rallied back up at the end of the day. And we had these, this nice confirming set of bottoms across the markets now. And again, we have retested that a couple of times over concerns about rising interest rates, the Fed, what's going on with Russia, Ukraine, the end of the world as we know it. Um, and, and, and again, you know, all this negativity, uh, you know, worries about nuclear war, World War III, um, running out of food. We're not going to have enough food. We're not going to have enough fuel. We're going to have a, a, a shortage on gas. You know, all these concerns, they're, they're certainly valid concerns, right? I mean, if you listen to the headlines and, and watch, you know, the, especially, you know, stations like CNN, that are just you know trying to scare the living crap out of you, um, you know that negativity is certainly very understandable. But again, we have to look at the history of the United States and what goes on. You know when these things seem very dire, you know it never things never actually turn out the way that we expect. We kind of go down this very dark rabbit hole, and things never turn out as bad as expected. And again, there's a lot of negative commentary coming out of the headlines, and I just want you to be aware of that because that's driving emotional decisions about portfolios. Oh, I've got to get out of the markets. I'm going to lose all my money. You know, I'm, you know, everything is terrible. And so you miss these very sharp reflexive rallies that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks saying, look, you know, the market's bottoming here, very negative sentiment. We're probably going to get a rally here. Well, here it is. And again, very constructive because we've set numerous bottoms that we tested and retested and retested these bottoms numerous times here now over the last couple of months, have now rallied back and got above both the 50 and the 200 day moving average. So we've now cleared very important resistance to the upside. Now this sets the markets up for a continued rally here over the course of the next couple of weeks, next month or so. And as we said earlier here you know, in, in February, and coming into early March, we said, look, you know, two negative months in a row for the markets are very, are very rare. You're likely to have a reflexive rally here that'll give you a positive month or two of returns. Now, again, it doesn't mean we're out of the woods just yet. Look, we do have a lot of issues that are coming, you know, further down the road. When we look at this chart three or four months from now, we're going to see a lot more wiggles, you know, going along in a chart of the markets, but we'll be talking about the Fed hiking interest rates, slower economic growth, those things are coming. And those are going to weigh on markets down the road here a bit. But right now we're getting this nice recovery. So again, markets are in a good position to, to make a further advance going into next week at this point, as we're going to start to, to kind of suck investors back in. This is what markets do very well. Markets frustrate investors very well that's what markets do they do exactly the opposite of what you would expect and that's very frustrating and it tends to suck investors in so this rally is now going to start to pull investors off the sidelines back into the markets they're going to put you know start kind of buying back some of these shares this potentially gives the market a lift and yes i know the fed's hiking interest rates it makes no sense the market's rallying here because the fed's hiking rates we've got the yield curve near inversion we've got a lot of and we're going to talk about yield curve this morning 
There's a lot of things that suggest that markets should be doing worse than they are right now, but that's probably coming down the road. Look, are we out of, and again, we're not out of the woods. This rally should be used as we've been talking about previously. Use this rally, rebalance risk in portfolios. Things that haven't been working, time to let those things go. They're not good. If they, if they didn't work on this rally, they're not going to work on a further rally and they're probably going to lead the next decline down. So things that have not worked, time to let those things go. Things that have been working well, stay with those, stay with your leaders in your portfolio. Those are the, the ones that have strength. Those are the ones that have inflows. Stay with those companies. Think about things that are out of favor at the moment. And as we talked about in November of 2020, energy way out of favor. Everybody hated energy. Now everybody loves it. Probably time to take profits there. What does everybody hate right now? Bonds. But those could very well wind up being one of the better performing assets later this year if we get into a recession. So start thinking about your portfolio allocation, where you've got your money invested, what's working, what's not working, manage your risk. We're going to come back and talk about the yield curve in particular as it relates to the markets and the economy and where people are getting it wrong. Be right back after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's a war being waged on your retirement dollars. And unless you act now, you'll lose the battle with inflation, higher taxes, and a lower standard of living. You can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement. April 2nd at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will help you fortify your life savings, make the most of Social Security, and lower your taxes. Register now for this free workshop at realinvestmentadvice.com. Combating inflation and retirement with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Danny Ratliff joining me today. Morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well. We're going to talk. A, we've got a few things to get into this morning. One is to talk a little bit about the yield curve, in particular. Uh, you know, as I've warned you here recently, you're going to read a lot of nonsense um, put out about the yield curve and what it means and what it doesn't mean and why you shouldn't worry about it this time. Yahoo Finance didn't disappoint this morning with their morning brief. I'm just going to read to you from a, a clip from the middle of the article. So the first part of the article leading up to the so part I just read, um, the first part of the article is just explaining what a yield curve is. Very quickly, if you're not familiar with what a yield curve is, it's simply the differential in rates, uh, interest rates on bonds. So if you looked at a chart of the two-year rate, the five-year rate, the 10-year rate, and the 30-year rate, it should make a kind of a nice upward sloping curve of those rates, right? You should pay, theoretically, you should have less interest paid on a two-year bond versus loaning money to somebody for 30 years. That should have a higher rate, right? It makes complete sense. Well, there's points in time where things kind of go awry in markets, and all of a sudden, the interest rate on the two-year bond is higher than a 10- or a 30-year bond. 
and that's what's called an inversion. There's a negative difference between those two rates. That's all yield curve is. That's all, all they mean by yield curve inversion. It's nothing magical. It just says that for some reason, people are demanding more interest for a loan over the next couple of months or a couple of years than they are 10 or 30 years from now. In other words, they're worried about a short-term event in the economy, a.k.a. a recession. Now, let me get back to reading Yahoo Finance. So, are we headed into a recession? The new cycle might suggest so. High inflation in the U.S., war in Ukraine, could tilt the U.S. economy into a recession just after we emerged from the pandemic-induced one. But others argue that the explanation here is simple. The Federal Reserve has its fingerprints all over the curve. The central bank is raising interest rates, which has a relatively direct impact on lifting shorter-term rates. To a lesser degree, the Fed may also impact longer-term rates because it snatched up over $3 trillion worth of U.S. Treasury since the beginning of the pandemic. Now, that seems like a logical explanation, except it's completely wrong. First of all, if you take a look at the two-year Treasury rate, which has a very high correlation to what the Fed is doing, that interest rate has the biggest surge in history in terms of rates over the last couple of months. The Fed only hiked rates this month on the 15th. So if the Fed was affecting the short-term rates by hiking rates, the two-year Treasury wouldn't have already spiked dramatically. There's something else going on within the economy as well. Here's a quote from B of A. The yield curve signal is heavily distorted by the Fed's massive balance sheet and extremely low bond yields overseas. Maybe the case. Guy Labas, chief fixed income strategist at Janney, also pointed out to Yahoo Finance that the curve is steeper now than it was when the Fed began a cycle of rate increases in 1999. And that is also correct. There's also the fact that recessions happen every 10 years or so. So for a recession doesn't rear its head, well, until generally two years after the yield curve, is the, is the signal broken. And this is now this is the part, now we're into the part of this analysis that is always put out there. And, there's, and here's the best part. Take a look at the August 2019 inversion. Now, remember this date. August 2019. A recession did happen. Now, I'm reading a quote from Yahoo Finance. A recession did happen a year and a half later. No. The recession happened in March, six months later. Not a year and a half. But it was triggered, according to Yahoo Finance, by a global pandemic, something bond markets could not have possibly foreseen coming. Well, that's not true either. The, the pandemic didn't cause the recession. There was something already broken in the economy, and we've talked about this before. Recessions occur because there's something already wrong economically. And in 2019, the Federal Reserve was already bailing out hedge funds because there was something wrong within the financial mechanism of the economy. What causes recessions and financial crises are exogenous events that markets and market participants and economic participants don't count on. They don't know 
you know, they're, they're not aware of something's going to happen. Go back to 2008. We were in a bear market and then the bankruptcy of Lehman, which was forced by the Federal Reserve. Nobody could have seen that coming, right? But the bond market knew something was up because of counterparty risk that was already occurring within the financial system. It already needed support before the bankruptcy of Lehman. So, yes, the bond market is very sensitive to global dynamics and what's happening. And in January and February of 2020, we were already reducing risk in portfolios because we saw what was happening with the pandemic overseas. We were worried about that impacting into the U.S. economy, but markets were already telling us that there was a problem that we need to be aware of. It just requires the realization of that problem to cause the economic recession. It is always an exogenous event that causes recessions. In other words, that immediate contraction of activity. It's always an exogenous, unexpected event. So the point here is simply this. The yield curve is telling you that there is a problem economically. It has been telling you this for months, that there's a problem economically. Long before the Federal Reserve started hiking interest rates, the bond market was already telling you that there is a problem economically. What will be required to realize the recession will be some unexpected exogenous event that occurs over the next few months, banking problem, uh, housing market problem, whatever it is, and people go, oh, well, yeah, well, if it hadn't been for that, we wouldn't be in a recession, right? It's always an unexpected exogenous event that we assign as the cause of the recession. It's not the underlying problems economically that already existed that the exogenous event just triggered the realization. Basically, all we do is assign an event to the cause of the recession, even though the recession was already present. Danny, good morning. Good morning. Well, what's always interesting about that is that the, the cause for it is not necessarily that that major event, but the things leading up to it. And that's mm -hmm. one thing that's very easy to overlook and think, OK, what policies, what changes, what bad actions from bad actors put us to this point? Mm -hmm. And then the contagion factor, which is typically what nobody knows, and that's what scares everybody to death. Right. And then that that just makes everything worse because you see the capitulation at that point. So. Interesting enough, though, talking about yield curves and interest rates, because that seems to be the hot topic of the day. Everybody wants to know, where does this go? And, you know, you the, the headline news that we always see is yield curves are, are close to inverting. Are we heading into a recession? But it's not actually that. It's actually when they uninvert. That's right. Yeah, and that's a great point. So on average, though, you know, these, these can go a lot longer than most people anticipate. Mm -hmm. I think, what is the average, like 15 months? Um, it, it, there's again, you know, when you kind of go back in history, you know, things take time. And here's and here's the other problem with this. In 2007, December of 2007, we wrote an article in our newsletter. It was actually our, our weekly newsletter. We wrote in our newsletter that we were actually in or about to be in the worst recession since the Great Depression. Now, at that time, Ben Bernanke was saying there is no recession. There's no risk of a recession on the horizon. Subprime is going to, in fact, March of 2008, Ben Bernanke states that there's no, you know, subprime is contained, no risk of a recession. Decent, now, the yield curve was already telling you there was a problem. 
in 2007. And we were already starting to head towards that inversion. There were things that were going on in the bond market that was already telling you that there was a problem coming. Um, of course, then we have the bankruptcy of Bear Stearns. Then we have the bankruptcy of Lehman. The market declines by 40%-ish by December of 2008. In December of 2008, the National Bureau of Economic Research comes out and says, oh, yeah, <laughs> we're in a recession. It started in December of 07, a year earlier. So the problem with the calculations and when we say, well, from the time that the yield curve starts to the time that we have the recession, can that be anywhere from 9 to 12 months or 18 months or 15 months? And, and the numbers are kind of all over the place. The problem with that is, is that it is the date that the National Bureau of Economic Research comes back later and says, oh, yeah, that's when it started, which is always 9 to 12 months behind the curve. So if you wait for somebody to tell you that we're actually officially in a recession, portfolio-wise, you've missed it, right? You'll be down 40%, 50%, whatever the decline is. And a normal decline during recession is 33% on average. So, so, so what about the quick move that we've seen in the yield curve? I mean, this is something historically you see over a, a three, four, five-year time frame. Yep, and now we're seeing it in a three, four, five-month time frame. No, it's the, the, the steepness of this collapse in the yield curve is very concerning because it has so why why first of all we have to back up a little bit you know why this is important mm -hmm. right the difference in what you're paying on interest rates for a mortgage we've had a very sharp increase in 30-year mortgage rates as an example you've had credit card interest payments go up. Um, in fact, I just got a notice this morning from my bank that my credit card interest that I have no balance on just went up from like 16% to 16.5% or whatever it is, right? Interest rates are going up everywhere. And it's happening very quickly at a time when you have the most heavily leveraged and indebted economy in US history. So interest rates have a very big impact on economic activity and the speed at which this is happening suggests that we're going to have a much faster contraction in economic activity because of the impact of higher rates. Be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com there's a war being waged on your retirement dollars and unless you act now you'll lose the battle with inflation higher taxes and a lower standard of living you can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement april 2nd at the embassy suites houston richard rosso and danny ratliff will help you fortify your life savings make the most of social security and lower your taxes Register now for this free workshop at realinvestmentadvice.com. Combating inflation and retirement with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, Danny Ratliff. Joining me this morning as well, Bray Clinton driving our Length Challenge bus. Good job. You haven't hit a curb this morning as usual. Uh, day is young. 
As soon as I say that, something's going to crash down. Of course, of course. So a couple of things. Uh, we were just talking about the yield curve, the impact of higher rates, and there's actually a impact of higher rates on people with pensions. And this is something that people are going to start figuring out pretty quick. If you're pretty close to retirement and have a pension, you might start working for free over the next couple of years. So if you're within you know one to two years of retirement and have a pension plan, you may want to check this out. And Danny's going to explain it for you a little bit more. But um, you may want to check this out because people are figuring out, it's like, if I keep working, uh, I'm actually losing money. And that's an, that's an interesting kind of concept here. But also, too, you have a, a event coming up this weekend, right? We or, do. We have next com- combating inflation and retirement. So this is obviously on top of everyone's mind, uh, very specifically because we're seeing inflation. And so what, what do you do? What are the things you can do to prepare to keep more money in your pocket? We're going to talk about everything from beginning to end. This is a very comprehensive course. We're going to talk about um, Medicare, Social Security, how to not leave any money on the table, how to not pay additional surcharges. Um, what do you do in investing in this stage? I think this is on top of everybody's mind. On you know, Right now, we've talked about the yield curve. What's the impact? Everybody tells you, hey, we need to be in bonds leading up to retirement or in retirement. Well, how do you do that right now and, and hold on to principle? And that's another big aspect. So we'll be talking about a lot of these things, how to invest in markets and uh, much, much more. Sign up, realinvestmentadvice.com. That'll be right at... I-10 and the Beltway 8. So pretty yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a live event, right? Actually, in live, person. That's right. I haven't, haven't done one of these in a while, so it's kind of interesting. I, I said this Saturday. It's next Saturday, April the 2nd. Correct. Right. April the 2nd. Uh, sign up online uh, right now. Just go to the website. You can't miss the huge giant banner right on the front page. So just go to realinvestmentadvice.com. Sign up there. It's absolutely free, of course. And uh, Danny might even give you some coffee or something if you show up so maybe inflation's so bad Lance, I know, right? sure <laughs> it's like you want coffee with that yeah it's nine hundred dollars a cup <laughs> you would be surprised what some places want to charge yeah i, I can only imagine <laughs> but anyway so live event this is exciting we haven't done one in a while so it'll be good to see you there yeah it'll be good to get back out so speaking of interest rates um as i as i let off saying there's there's a risk here and we're starting to get calls from people now that are going um yeah, I've got this pension, and it looks like I'm losing money on it. Yeah, and so this is an issue when you're very close to retirement, and you could become, you could work for free. And so what we're seeing, so keep in mind, if you're looking at taking an actual lump sum, which is what the majority of people do, you could actually end up losing money because we have an inverse relationship with interest rates. So when rates are actually increasing, your lump sum will decline. But your pension payout will begin to increase because they figure they can set the money aside. They've got a little bit more margin for error mm-hmm. and they can pay you a little bit more in the in the in the near term. Well, when rates are extremely low, they want to encourage you to get that off their books and for you to take the funds. So as we begin to see this rate environment where we're actually seeing them rise, this can be extremely problematic. So we look at somebody's financial plan and say, hey, you're leaving several hundred thousand dollars on the table potentially. So. You have to check with your HR department and whoever's doing your, you know, the actuary, and they're going to give you some really clear information, essentially on what monthly rate they use. You know, we can look at, you know, company A and company B, and they could do something completely different. So you need to understand exactly how that works. Work with your financial advisor because, you know, at the end of the day, who wants to work for free? Right. 
But there can be some advantages, and so I think it's good to create a pros and cons list and really have a side-by-side comparison as far as what this looks like. The other aspect is nobody knows how high rates can actually go. We don't think they're, they're going to go all that high. However, what if they continue to climb during this time and you continue to lose funds mm-hmm. the longer and longer you work? And again, and, and for a lot of people you know, that have worked for a company, and look, first of all, we're not talking to a large group of people anymore. Yeah, not everybody right? has pensions these days. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a, a diminishing number of people with pensions, and they've shifted most of that burden into 401k plans, which was a terrible idea. But... If you have a pension, then and, and, and probably if you have a pension, you've been working for a company for a fairly long time, and which means that pension balance can be fairly large. So what Danny's talking about specifically is they calculate your lump sum payment based on the net present value of and, and which is accounted for by interest rates. So as interest rates go up, it negatively impacts the lump sum payout that you would get today or on, you know, if, if your date of retirement is two years from now, they're going to calculate that payment based on interest rates. And if those interest rates are higher than they were previously, you're going to see that payout go down. And again, to Danny's point, you know, there's a, there's a lot of individuals that have worked for companies for a very long time. They have a pension balance of, you know, a lot. And these adjustments can be, thousands upon thousands of dollars and we've seen them in the hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and so it matters and so it's worth at least exploring again if you're two and then and look if you're 10 years from retirement don't even worry what we're talking about rates will be lower you'll be fine um, but if you're a year or two from retirement you may want to go explore this opportunity again doesn't mean you have to do anything we're not trying to tell you to panic and go oh you know retire today and don't just go hang it up (laughs) yeah yeah it's just you know it's it's just we're just saying hey this is something you may want to consider if you have an immediacy of time frame for wanting to retire because again as interest rates go up and the fed's going to be raising interest rates now for the next 12 months so every time they hike interest rates that balance is going to come down you may just want to consider your options. And that's all we're saying. And, yep. and if you've got questions, go to HR, ask them what your pension fund you know, balance is, and then email Danny at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, and say, hey, I went to HR. This is what they told me. What do you think? And then we can kind of help walk you through that process of some things to consider. Yeah, we, we looked at one this last week, and it was, in fact, that if interest rates change, if they change their number, their monthly rate that they use by 1%, that there would be an 8 to 12% decline mm-hmm. in their overall lump sum, what they would take home. And so they started doing the math and said, well, that's, that's more than I make. Right. And so there's a lot of other things that we have to factor into this. What is your age? What are your, do you have any retiree health benefits? Um, you know, how old is your spouse? I mean, there's a lot of other factors here. And then what's the solvency of your plan? Can you take a lump sum? And does it work? Or do you need to actually take the pension? Um, or is there some combination of the two? And so I think there's a lot of moving parts here. Make sure you don't leave any money on the tables, key number one, and don't make any rash decisions. You know, I've had some people call and they say, hey, I did it. You did what? I retired. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, okay. Well, let's uh, put the pin to pad here. Hang on. And, and so, but it is something that when you see those numbers, you kind of, you know, you it, can take it, a step it, back. Yeah. It could, and again, you know, if your time frame is longer, don't worry about it because interest rates will come back down again. And, you know, as we get into a recession, bond yields are going to fall. Uh, in fact, I've got a, uh, a report coming out on Friday 
about why now is probably one of the best bond buying opportunities that we've seen in the last decade because of where rates are right now. And the last time I wrote this article that it was the best bond buying episode in a decade was in 2019, just before rates went to half a percent. So, you know, we've been here numerous times before, and we're back to that point to where we will see interest rates fall, but the question is timing when it comes to your pension. And that might be, you know, 18, 24, 36 months before we see rates come down sharply enough to justify that pension decrease that you that you would have. So sometimes just exploring a bit. Well, and if you can get save stuck, you some money. It, yeah. it could make you want to work longer. Yeah. You know, if, if they'll have you. And that's the, that's the other issue. Well, that's the other question if they'll have you. Well, and that's right. I mean, you talk about all the different numbers and things that we look at day to day, and they're they're not as great as what everybody tells you they are. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting too talking about retirement. You know, we saw this uh, saw a lot of these articles come out about the great retirement uh, during you know the 2020 pandemic, those people weren't retiring because they wanted to. They were asked to retire. Yeah, the great resignation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, they weren't resigning of choice. They were resigning by force, and they were kind of given a choice of you need to retire now. Um, you know, now they're all going back to work. So well, and then that's which is not surprising. Yeah, and so many of these people they wanted to go back to work, but they couldn't find a job. I mean, we had right. a number of clients ourselves that said, look, don't worry, I always land on my feet, something happens, and especially in, in some of the industries around here that we're familiar with. And a lot of them are saying, man, I, everybody I know is out of work. And now some of those places are getting back, but then you have somebody who's probably has a little bit too much experience, more talent than what somebody's used to, and they may not want to pay for it. Right. So now you're taking a significant haircut. So we're seeing a lot of people had to reduce expenses, make major lifestyle changes, just so they could retire early. And, you know, that's what I fear right now is that we look at all these economic numbers and the, the data of how much people have saved. And you'd start to think about, okay, somebody only has like uh, Transamerica Retirement Center for uh, study for retirement came out. The new study says the average person has, or family has $93,000 saved for retirement. 93,000. Right. What are you supposed to do with that? I mean, you can't flip your car for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kid, but but no, things are getting more Not expensive. Not by much. And, <laughs> exactly. But, you know, things are getting much more expensive. It is well, more expensive to live in. And that that's probably not going to remain forever. However, yeah. these are things that people are faced with right now. And when we see these events and you see a maybe a bigger market downturn, because they're talking about defined contribution plans, right. not defined benefit plans, which those are going to ebb and flow with the markets. What happens if you lose half of that? But, but even, even that, though, I mean, 401k plans... You know, the average balance is sixty-five to $70,000. The median, yeah. Uh, the median balance, sorry. And, you know, again, what are you going to do with that? That's less than one year's income for most people, right? You're just above the poverty line. Yeah, exactly. And this is money that's supposed to last you for 30 years. And, and this is the problem. But, you know, financial education, it's an issue. Anyway, be right back after the break. Wrap up the show. Don't go away.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's a war being waged on your retirement dollar. And unless you act now, you'll lose the battle with inflation, higher taxes, and a lower standard of living. You can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement. April 2nd at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will help you fortify your life savings, make the most of Social Security, and lower your taxes. Register now for this free workshop at realinvestmentadvice.com. Combating inflation in retirement with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. The show this morning, Danny Ratliff here as well. Um, again, uh, combating inflation retirement. That's our first live event that we've had. Is it, this is the first one since the pandemic, right? I want to say we did one, but we've done so many of these things. I'm so tired of looking at my face on Zoom. <laughs> we're doing these things. I'm just happy to get back out in front of people. It'll be so good. I think this is the first. Actually, I think this is the first live event we've done since the pandemic. So. I think we did one out of town, maybe. I'm actually positive of it. No, Austin. In Austin, yeah. And we did one in the Woodlands. So, all right. Yeah. So, second one since the pandemic. Second. There we go. Anyway, this will be the first coming up. 2022 event. There you go. Anyway, it's live at the uh, Mary, uh, Marriott. Emb- uh, sorry, at the Embassy, Embassy Suites Suite. um, on I-10 at Kirkwood. Uh, all the details online at the website realinvestmentadvice.com. It's next next Saturday, April the second. So uh, just kind of wrapping up this conversation a bit, um, as we were talking about a second ago, with pensions, interest rates, you know, all this type of stuff. And and as we were kind of wrapping up, you know, the issue for most Americans is they simply just have not saved enough. And, you know, this is one of the important things to consider. And, you know, probably if you're listening to the show right now, you've got an interest in your portfolio and you're probably doing much better than average. That's just kind of the way it works. You talk to most people about finance shows and they're, they're like, oh, this is so boring. Um, I get it, right? You know, finance is boring. Economics is boring. But it's kind of important when it comes to your money to, to do these things. But, you know, it's always interesting when you read the headlines, you know, in the mainstream media, uh, you know, it's, you know, make your money grow. And they give you all these tips. Oh, just put $500 a month into a Roth or whatever. And make 12%. Make 12% and in yeah. 30 years, you're going to have all this money. It sounds great. But 80% of Americans, so, you know, we go back to talking about financial insecurity. 80% of Americans have less than $500 in the bank to meet an emergency, blah, blah, blah. We've been through all these statistics before. And every year we run these statistics. Now think about this. We've had the three biggest bull markets in the history of the United States since 1980. We had a massive bear bull market from 1980 to 2000. Had another big bull market from 2003 to 2007, eight, and then you had a gigantic bull market from 2009 till really present. We haven't finished it yet. And yet, 80% of Americans have less than one or two years' worth of salary saved up in the bank. Investing doesn't apparently, you know, (laughs) buy and hold investing, those type of things, sounds great in theory. Works great on paper. 
hasn't worked in real life because of all the emotional biases that we bring to the table. You know, we, we buy wrong, we sell wrong, we don't stick with plans, we don't follow through, we don't save enough. We are hoping the markets will, we can gamble our way in the markets to wealth rather than saving our way to wealth and doing what we do to make money and improving our economic lot in life by educating ourselves and becoming better at what we do and getting better paying jobs and those type of things. Again, if you're listening to the show, you, I'm probably not talking to you. Well, you've probably done these things already. Exactly. Right. And that's the problem I think that most people have. I mean, you get a lot of these calls. I know I do in the sense of, hey, I need to make money quick. We need to get more aggressive now because retirement is just on the horizon. Well, you didn't do all the work prior doing these things now and letting the market do it for you. You're likely not going to end up in the best shape that you think. And we see this often because that same person will will also, when the market goes awry, they're going to be the ones that pull out because it's going to be emotional. They're going to realize, oh, shoot, I cannot afford to lose any money. I can't afford mm -hmm. to do this. And so this is a problem. I mean, we talked about, you know, what people have in the bank. The average retiree spends about $47,000 a year. Okay. The average Social Security payment right now is about $1,500. So $18,000. Okay. So that $93,000 that they have in savings, how's that going to work? It's not going to last long. It's not. And so now we have a much bigger issue, and especially for somebody who thinks that, hey, I have to grow these funds and I have to grow them quickly. And so it may not be you who's listening to this show, but you know somebody like this, maybe a loved one, a family member, a friend. Um, these are things that, that are out there, and they're, they're occurring on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, we don't see as much of it because that's not typically who – that's not typically our client. Right. Well, I know, but the, the statistics speak for themselves. And, and look, the financial media, CNBC, as an example, is terrible. It's the worst thing that we ever did to Americans. 401k plans were a horrible thing that we did to Americans. And, you know, we put all of the impetus and all the responsibility on individuals rather than on safe, secure investment structures through pensions with companies, et cetera, that were solely invested in treasuries. And we even messed that up by allowing pension funds to start investing in equities. And now they're doing private equity, which is going to be a horrible thing um, down the road. But, you know, the consequences really fall back on our education system. You know, we don't teach kids how to manage themselves financially. And it's fallen on the responsibility of parents to do that. But unless you happen to be a parent that's, educated yourself in the financial realms, what are you supposed to teach your kids, right? They, they learn by watching. And Danny had a good example of uh, talking about a credit card a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, kids just think everything magically shows up on a, on a piece of plastic. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon. I mean, it's a terrible yeah. thing. Yeah. And these are all terrible. You know, I, I watch my kids and we, when we try, you know, I'm look, I make my kids work. I make my kids pay for their own car. I make them pay for their own insurance. My kids hate me because their, their, their friends don't have to, right. Yeah. Their parent, you know, I live in a, in Katy, Texas, where it's a bit more affluent and, you know, every kid's driving a brand new car at 16 years old. My kids are driving, you know, five-year-old clunkers, yeah. but they've got to pay for them and they're working. And they're, they're and I'm trying to teach them some basic responsibility, but it's terribly difficult when they're inundated every day by Uber and by Grubhub and by, you know, all these you know, pay for service. I go, do you realize how much you're paying for that? But it's so convenient and every it's become a way of life. It's like, if you want something, what do you do? Order it from Amazon. You just get it. Yeah. You just order it from Amazon. And it shows up at your door. Sounds great. Do you realize you're overpaying for it by ordering it from Amazon?
we're, we're being bombarded by information yeah. day to day. I mean, think about your email, social no, let media. Me, let, me, let me clarify that. You're being bombarded by advertisements every day. Well, yeah, correct. <laughs> but, but it does make it easy. And then you say, oh, well, click this button, buy now. Oh, Apple Pay, even easier. Right. And so that's the problem is that we don't teach, you know, one, you know, some delayed gratification. So like we have a rule in our house that if it's over a certain amount, you have to wait. We talk it out and mm-hmm. you wait a week. You wait a week. Usually I don't want it anymore. Something I think I need to have, I have to have. I usually don't want it after that. Right. And, and that's the problem is that I think that it's easy to get caught up on it. And then usually what we see is when somebody makes one little mistake, it turns into a bigger mistake, bigger. It's that snowball effect. And it's very easy to just say, oh, well, I've already screwed it up. We'll just keep keep rolling with it. Right. And no, it, it's, it's it, and, and that's the big problem. You know, and, and unfortunately, as we said, it's now becoming down to parents to teach their kids. But, you know, if, if you've developed bad habits, you're going to your kids watch you have these bad habits and and so we perpetuate the same problem financially this is look this is why households are massively over leveraged they're you know they buy houses they can't really afford they buy credit you know they've got you know massive amounts of credit card debt etc to live lifestyles that they see on instagram right (laughs) and and again this is this is another thing that that i fight with my kids over we don't fight but we have these discussions but they see all these people on Instagram and social media, TikTok, whatever. It's like they've got nice houses and all this other stuff. And they're like, oh, that's that's what I'm going to – as soon as I get out of college, that's what I'm going to buy. I'm like, no, you're not. Yeah, no way. <laughs> you know? um, well, we used to have the jokes like, oh, that's a $30,000 millionaire. Yeah. Right? Because, oh, the nice Mercedes. Oh, they have all these fancy things. Mm-hmm. They, they go out to eat at all the greatest places. And you're like, these people don't have any money. Right. And that's the problem is that they show these things and those people will be the ones who are going to be paying for it typically for the rest of their lives because they're not starting that foundation. Now it's going to be very difficult to break that problem. Why do you think financial peace university is so popular? Right. And and I think it's great for getting out of debt, which is the problem that most people have. So it's a difficult environment. I mean, I struggle with it in in, with all, I mean, I have financial certifications, degrees, and it's a, it's a struggle even in our household. So I know it has to be for for the average American. It is. It's, it's, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's always a financial challenge. Well, well, you know, one thing my father told me when I was young, he says, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's about how much money you save. Right. And that's the biggest issue where most people can't save. And then when they do. So for me, if I save, I have a hard time. Even if I have that for a set objective, I have a very hard time spending that money on something after that. Right. You know, because I'm like, oh, man, that was tough. That I worked really hard for that money. Yeah. And it, it changes your perspective quite yeah, a bit. It, it does. And, and, you know, we talk about. In, in our household as well, you know, my wife and I have a system. She works, I work, and, and we have a system on paying bills and mm-hmm. and doing these things. And and you're right, we have you know the savings account that we save up for for making investments and doing other doing other projects. And every time it gets to the point that we have to invest in a project or whatever it is, it's like, can we not do that one? Yeah. <laughs> it's just there's something about letting that cash go, right? That's right. Even though it's not earning me anything, just letting it go is hard. But you know. It's it's but this is the the process. And, the, and again, it's almost, you know, I've, t- I've talked to so many people and it's the same way in our house. It's almost a game to see how much we can save now. Yeah. And, and once you kind of get to that mental that mental mindset, it becomes a lot easier. It does. I have a client. And this is this is kind of funny. So guy has plenty of money. But, you know, we check in when we're doing distributions, discussions, things of that nature. Say, hey, how's everything going? And what this is years ago. He said, I feel like I'm eating ramen noodles for the last week of every month. I said, well, let's start sending you some more money. You've got, you, you've done great. You're, you're in a good shape. Nah, it's kind of fun. 
Yeah. I, I like doing this. I'm like, what does your wife think about this? Uh, she's not real fond of it, but you know, it's growing on her. It's look, teamwork is the 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 the, the most important aspect to building wealth in a marriage is teamwork. That's right. You got to both be on the same page, or otherwise, it's just not going to work. Anyway, uh, that's your marital advice today on the Maury Povich show. So <laughs> gl- gl- <laughs> glad you could be here. Um, we back tomorrow, of course, on Thursday to talk about what's happening with interest rates, where the Fed's heading to, um, and most likely what the outcomes are going to be. We'll get to that tomorrow with Michael Leibowitz right here on The Real Investment Show. Stick around. Our three minutes on markets and money is coming up and talking about why this rally hmm, may just have some legs. That'll be today's three minutes on markets and money. We'll be back tomorrow morning. Have a great day. See you then. Realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.